Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Well, we did it. We made it to 200 episodes, and our 200th was really a night to remember. You're probably aware by now we did a live-streamed event at the Drum Pad at Drum Paradise Nashville. First, we did a roundtable discussion with a few of our favorite guests from our catalog, Travis McNabb, Hubert Payne, Seth Rausch, and Harry Myrie. Then for the second act, we did uh, an extended interview with the incomparable Chris McHugh. We want to sincerely thank Forks Drum Closet for sponsoring this event, Drum Paradise for generously hosting it, and the Nashville Loop for their great technical work in making the live stream happen. Drumming is too strenuous to ignore what you're sitting on, and if you've experienced pain or fatigue in your back, pelvis, or shoulders, the Motion Pro Throne is your solution. As a drummer, you put a lot of thought into your equipment, and no piece of gear is more important to the longevity of your career and the quality of your playing than your drum throne. Developed and researched by a chiropractor and a group of professional drummers, the Motion Pro Throne features a split seat which allows the tailbone to hang without compressing the spine, combined with spring suspension which creates reciprocating motion between the two sides of the pelvis. How did you feel when you stood up from the kit after your last gig? Go to motionpro.org and see what their spinal glide technology can do for you. Motion Pro Drum Thrones, supporting you from the bottom up. Motion Pro will be at NAM, so if you'll be there too, go check them out at booth number 7436. So as you're about to hear, everyone had some great thoughts and perspectives to share for our 200th episode, and we can't thank them enough for being part of it. For the roundtable, just so you know who's who, after I ask the first question, Seth speaks first, then Travis, then Hubert, then Harry. So let's get right to it. Hope you enjoy our 200th episode live from the drum pad at Drum Paradise. I wanted to start off uh, just by giving each of you a chance to uh, kind of update us on, on what's going on right now in your life and career. And um, by way of that, I, uh, you know, we're, we just started a new year and I heard somebody say recently that they don't like making New Year's resolutions because you can break resolutions, but they like making New Year's intentions, setting New Year's intentions. So uh, what are your intentions for 2019? Seth, Seth first. Um, <clears throat> for me, I guess it's always the same. Just uh, try to keep being the best drummer I can. But when I'm not doing that, uh, I'm a dad um, trying to be the best at home, uh, you know, and um, always trying to trying to learn, uh, dig, dig a little deeper and uh, figure out you know how to make the groove speak more um just uh just trying to always learn it might be something small but just always trying to grow yeah and is there is there something specific and that you've kind of had in the back of your mind that 2019 is the year no not really good honestly that's a good place yeah. to be <laughs> i'm kind of open to anything and everything you know yeah so yeah. good night yeah. thank you everyone we appreciate it <laughs> yeah. um for me, something it's not necessarily for the new year. I didn't really have any thoughts about making any changes or doing something specifically different, but something that at 
I think I'm the oldest of the gang here. I'm pretty sure. Or you're LG. older than Matt. <laughs> no, no, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But, I'm going know either. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the the further I've gotten in my career, um, the I've just been fortunate. I've gotten to do a lot of different things in even different genres with different artists, recording, touring, all different kind of stuff, and. Um, I've gotten to a place where I've, I feel like I've found a comfort zone of approaching, uh, trying to do, just trying to play music that I love uh, and play with people that I love working with. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've just I've come to this place in the last handful of years where some of my choices aren't as much informed by finance as as much as musical passion which is why we all started in the first place you know and and um that was my approach in my early 20s when i was starving and living with five people in a two-bedroom house and go to a mexican restaurant and buy a coke so you can have chips and salsa for dinner like that's we all had to do something like that early on to be able to do this for a living and I can't say that I'm willing to do that again, but but somehow or another, the nature of my path has uh, has gotten me to a place where I'm 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 trying to go back to the idea of what my approach to the music I was trying to play then was. It wasn't just like what gig can I get, how much can I make, uh, you know, and and yes, I'm still I have a home studio and anybody can send me anything, and I don't know that I've ever turned anything down so but when you're recording something okay I'm doing it right now and it'll be done in an hour you can deal with almost anything but especially when it comes to a creative endeavor as a whole like working on a whole album or or an artist you might take a tour with or a permanent gig with I just feel fortunate that I, I I've have the luxury of thinking of it this way so I've tried to embrace the idea of thinking about playing music I love with people I love as opposed to just it's a job you know and so the the further I've gotten on in my career or in the more recent years um, I'm trying to approach more and more that way so like a van and a trailer with the right people isn't a deal deal no that's it's actually true I mean I hadn't been on a van tour in probably 20 plus years and I did one about a year and a half two years ago with a, a dear friend a guy named Stephen Kellogg and I produced some songs for him for a record he did with a handful of different producers and I did one chunk of it and he asked me to do a leg of the tour with him and I did you know and in your 40s doing a van tour is not necessarily uh easy (laughs) you know we're all pushing our own gear and loading into a trailer and sleeping on a bench seat and whatever but i love him and i love the music he made and so yeah i'll come do it you know so awesome yeah Uh, for me 2019 i'm i feel like uh i'm on fire I'm on fire. I'm really excited about a lot of things that are <laughs> that are happening right now. And like the one word that's like super heavy in my spirit is just about being in position. And 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 what that means to me is uh I'm starting like minister, a ministry and training school here here in January. And uh, I just want to be in position to help as much as I can. I've been given a lot. Um being in position means, you know, being the father that I'm supposed to be, being the man that my wife needs. You know, not the man that I think that she needs, but what she needs, you know, um, as far as practicing, you know, when if I'm practicing to prepare for wherever I can be used, I'm all over the place. You know what I mean? I'm I'm I'm, I'm practicing syncopation. I'm practicing jazz because 
I feel like I have a gift and I just want to be in position to be used and be adequate to be used. So um, as far as 2019, man, it's, it's a lot that I'm excited about, but I just feel like I'm on fire, man. So yeah, that's it for, for me. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. I feel that from you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, mic check. <laughs> You knew what the first word was going to be. <laughs> Cajon. I have a... <laughs> hey, man, you take that back. <laughs> uh, yeah, why aren't we all sitting on cajones, by the way? <laughs> they do make good chairs. Uh, <laughs> the monitor is, is playing that wrong. Oh, there, yep, there it is. There it is. I'm going to kick that thing on my way out. <laughs> be the best it ever sounded. All right. Dude, I, I have two goals this year. Uh, one is like basically what Seth already very eloquently said. It's like, be present in the work. I just want to do the work this year, man. The last five years of my life, I had these really regimented goals that were about climbing and they were about things that I don't have. The goal this year is to not be so absorbed in those external things. I want to be right here and I want to do the work, man. I just, just want to be great at what I'm doing. Uh, number two is I want to give it away. Like I, I've had like a couple of very self-absorbed years here. All of us who get on stage, man, it's like we're trying to Okay, I won't speak for you guys, but <laughs> I get on stage trying to like fill this, you know, like get attention and be praised and you, all this. You stuff. can speak for me. Go ahead. Okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not alone, um, <laughs> dude. Uh, man, I just kind of want to give it away this year, man. I'd rather. And you said a version of this a second ago, like much more beautifully. Like, um, I'm fine. I'm so spoiled right now. I, so let me let me kind of turn to helping everybody else out. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Those are the two. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Um, We want to get into... uh, Zach and I sat down today and fine-tuned some things, and one of the thing that one of the things that keeps coming up in our podcast over and over is the importance of listening, the importance of understanding the history of our instrument, the history of music, uh, how it applies to what we do, whether we're touring or playing uh, on the weekends or recording, whatever. Understanding the history. Um, I just I just want to throw that out there to anyone. And, and if we can expand upon that, the importance of listening to music, importance of knowing music history, drummers, recordings. Anybody jump in? <laughs> well, I think it's um, obviously it's, it's valuable to us to, to learn as much as we can, uh, you know, uh, partly because you'll learn approaches, uh, literal chops or, you know, ways of playing things, but also just mindset, um, musical ways to tackle different musical ways to tackle a given uh, type of song or whatever, you know, those things are good. But I also think, um, you know, in, uh, particularly in recording situations, but it happens on touring stuff too. Although a lot of times that music's already more established, you're kind of learning something that exists, but in recording situations where you're where you're hearing a rough sketch of something and you're coming up with ideas quickly, that's usually a conversation amongst all the people involved, at least on a session. Now there are so many sessions where you're by yourself, but even then someone who sent you an email with the rough that you're going to cut to, whether it's that or in the room, they're very likely going to reference something. It may be an exact recording or it may be a 
certain artist or a certain drummer, and, and they're trying to tell you a vibe. They might not be saying, listen to this exact song, I want this tone like this. They're trying to communicate an approach. And so the more you already understand that, the better off you are. It's valuable as a communication tool as much as it is valuable for literally learning how to do certain things, you know. Yeah, I think, like, <clears throat> similar to what Hubert said, not only at the drum set, but it's being ready. It's it's The more players you're familiar with, the more genres of music um, you have more to pull from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, in today's age, it's great because in an in instant, if there's something you are not familiar with, you can get familiar with it yeah. literally like in three seconds, you know. Yeah. But the more um, knowledge you have, I think the more um, in a timely fashion you can pull from it. Well, and also you can it can even lead you to introduce something into an equation that wasn't uh, that isn't obvious. It may be your own something you loved or something that's part of where you come from. You know, at one point we were recording a, a Jennifer Nettles record, and um, you know it was, it was pretty pop approach, pop country approach, really pop approach, and it was with Dan Huff and. And it, this one breakdown section, I'm like, what if I did a second line kind of thing? And because I'm from New Orleans, and Dan said, well, "What do you mean?" And I played it for him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, do that second what that thing, whatever." You know, like it wasn't something that was part of his vocabulary, but I'm introducing this thing, and it worked in that little chunk, and it you know it made sense in the moment. But that's just because that's part of you know. So I think that on one hand learn and know as much as you can on the other hand uh really focus on the things you love the things that move you because that's part of what will make you distinctly you and that's part of what you'll get calls for and you might not get other things you could have gotten because ultimately i think it's at least this is my mentality it's not necessarily my advice to everyone but i just prefer the idea of players with personality and with character and and you bring a certain thing to the table and hopefully it's pretty wide and you can fit in a lot of circumstances but at the same time if there's kind of things you're known for i think it's more interesting and more valuable and just cooler it's just a cooler approach and you're going to wind up doing things you love more if you focus on learning the things you love and that speak to you that's what's going to come out of you and you're going to enjoy your process more. You're going to enjoy the work you do more, the things you get called for. I, I think not enough drummers lean into that. Like what, what you listen to and how you listen informs the kind of drummer you are. And I think often drummers, uh, like I've been guilty of this. I turn my ears off. I turn, I turn off what my ears want to do. And you spoke up for yourself. Like my ears want to do a second line here. That's what they're hearing. Right. Um, and I think a lot of drummers, uh, for whatever reason, don't, don't speak up that way and don't speak on behalf of their ears, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to, there's some beauty. I got a friend back there, Keo Stroud. Uh, this is a great story. I, 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 I called him. I called him when I was younger and I said, Keo, I'm, I'm tired of taking drum solos at weddings during the Soul Train line. And I, and I wanted to play for artists, you know? And, and I, I said, Keo, do you really like country music, man? He's like, dude, are you serious? Absolutely. And his advice to me was, dude, when you go back, because he's, he, he's a history buff, he loves history, he's like, go back, listen to Paul Lyme, listen to Chris McHugh, listen to the guys, understand the music by like each decade. When you do that, you'll have an appreciation for it. And 
people will hire you when they when they can feel the love from what you're playing, right? So there's a lot of guys, um, a lot of my uh, African American brothers. They always hit me up and they're like, "Man, like, how do you get into the country thing?" And I, and I would say, uh, what he advised me to do was go on Broadway, you know, and I and I played like tons of shifts down there and meeting people and listening because that helped me go back, learn the history of like what are the top forty, you know, songs. Learn them. What, what are these guys really doing? Like when I play with Shannon Forrest, can I sit in the pocket like he's sitting? Mm-hmm. Why are they playing a hi hat like that? Why? And 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 that analytical approach actually led me to, uh, you know, searching Seth out. Yeah, you know, and 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 I met Seth in like a mobile home, like at a fair one day, and I was like, bro, could I ask you questions for like an hour? <laughs> <laughs> and after we start talking about how to I keep said marriage, no. <laughs> said, do you, do you have Get a out of my mobile home. <laughs> my secrets. <laughs> after he told me how to have ten kids and keep a marriage, <laughs> um, I, like, and you're working I knew, on that. <laughs> I, am, I knew his whole game. Like, I knew that Seth. He likes to use like the last sixteenth of a beat to like come into the backbeat. Dun, dun. You know, and, and, and like I, I asked him a thousand questions because I studied him, like you know, just like Keo told me to, and uh, and that led to a great relationship and some referrals for a nice gig that changed my life. <laughs> so <laughs> the history is important and and it matters. It matters. And it's, it, it sounds like listening to all that stuff raised a bunch of questions for you. Absolutely. It was all why this, why that, how that, and answering those questions, getting those questions answered. Uh, it's it's not just about learning to do that thing. It's about learning why to yep. do that thing. Yep, and, and, and then that becomes your marketable skill because we can't forget. Well, a lot of us, this is our business. You can't forget that. So you're building your business, right? And, you know, why are people going to call you? The, the deeper you have a history that, that, that adds to you, that gives you value, that gives more reasons for people to call you. Like for me, I, like – you know, my wife deserves me to be able to perform on a high level and uh, provide for us. So I have to be able to know like the top 40 R&B stuff so I can go play with my friends that play that. I got to be able to go on Broadway and do that. If I get a country gig, I got to be able to do that. So the history matters all, all across the board. But, yeah. I had a question. We have some individual questions and this kind of ties everything in. Uh, I had this set aside for you, Travis. It was how does one maintain a level of integrity and their drumming style and still create the trust that's needed to be a marketable side musician for hire? And I think you've kind of, you all have answered this so far is you do what you do best. Mm-hmm. And you, and when you do what you do, when you do what you love, it comes across in a really passionate and loving way and people I, pick up on that I do I think that's true I think a key is is if it is if you're taking an approach you love that's obvious and and even as ultimately we are in the service business where we're work for hire for the most part what we're talking about here and there is a boss so to speak and you want to please them um, and but I, I think so even in a moment where as a listener, if it, would you buy this record? Would, is it something you love? Even when that may not, the answer may not be yes. If you're, if they've hired you. I personally believe you owe it to not only them, but to music, to yourself as someone who's chosen to do this, to believe in it at that moment. Whatever it is about that piece of music, find something to dig in and and focus on. Even if it's the mechanics of how you play this feel or the lyric or 
I love the chord changes or I love the group, whatever it is, even if it's not the whole picture, hunt for something to be passionate about in that moment while you're doing it. Because that, everybody, that, that registers, people know that, they sense that, I believe, you know, and that makes you valuable, I think. Harry's crushing on you so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> no, it, it was like you were watching him play. You were like, yeah, man. <laughs> it's live, bro. <laughs> Centrally located in the heart of Nashville, Tennessee, the drum pad is a turnkey climate-controlled practice and teaching facility. Started by Drum Paradise owner Harry McCarthy and drum tech John Hall, the drum pad is set up to host lessons, master classes, and clinics of top call session and touring drummers, as well as host private lessons from anyone who has students. A major convenience is being able to book your own private practice sessions around your schedule. There are always two full drum sets set up in tandem, so there is no hassle of loading gear in and out. Simply show up with your sticks, and you are playing right away. The teaching and practice room with the drum sets can be booked hourly, daily, or weekly by anyone who needs somewhere to shed tunes, work on chops, or teach. At the drum pad, they also push to bring music education to the drumming community and encourage teachers of all different skill levels to take on new students. Having a studio or professional facility isn't always easy to acquire, but the drum pad was developed to cater to anyone who wants to be involved in education. Visit drumpadnashville.com to see the available teachers or to book your practice or teaching time. I wanted to ask each of you to uh, talk a little bit about your your biggest physical challenge right now and your biggest psychological challenge right now and how you're dealing with them. Mm. If anyone has an answer first, jump in. <laughs> rack my brain I, I, on do, this one. I do have one that I'm fighting right now, so I, I would welcome any of your help with this. I, uh, I get into a bad habit of, and so this is physical and psychological in my playing, um, if I can't hear the kick drum well, I wind up playing it way too hard. Yep. I wind up, you know, just jamming the beater into the head and, and even holding it there, you know, especially in the last couple of years, I've been playing a 26 inch drum with no hole and very little muffling. So it's got a lot of bounce back and I'm bad habit, self-taught, always been a bury the beater guy. So on that drum, you kind of have to, if you're not letting it off, you got to hold it in or you're getting a lot of bounce back. And I've just developed this thing where it's, I've got way too much, A, I'm playing it too hard, B, too much tension, too much wrapped into my right leg that's messing with everything else. That's my battle at the moment. It's, it, and it's a mental one as much as a physical one because I've played most of my career without, without that issue at all. And all of a sudden it's a thing in the last year, you know. So uh, I welcome help from anyone. <laughs> I, would, I would say as a general rule that's the same, but across the board, just trying to mentally um, don't – I always feel like I get done playing a gig and I – I accuse myself of playing too hard. I mean, all of my heroes, you know, I, I think in my head, I, I feel like, man, everyone thinks I'm bashing right now. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't ever want to come across that way. Um, you all, never do from this listener. Uh, well, you know, like all my heroes. Smooth silk. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Gad, Carlos, Jeff, they just always had this. Even Vinny, you, you see him playing a festival in front of 200,000 people screaming and, and, and 
with brushes and it's like mm-hmm. it's like bro what are you there's, how, are, how are you that relaxed but he's in it how? yeah 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 that's it just like you know i don't I, you want to put on a show and you want to be in the moment um but and, and as you we get, get older and, and, and you I, also you know, get into a, a little bit of an attack mentality right you know like yeah. we got to do you know it's time to rock you want to play angry i, I mean in, in a good way like it, yeah, y- yeah. you want to you want to go after it you know but mentally be and physically be relaxed uh-huh. and so that's you know to be able to to give the groove and the energy of the show everything but cuz everyone's had those nights you've had the nights where you're like i've been doing this for 30 years why do I have blisters still you know (laughs) and then you have those nights where the mix just speaks to you in a good way and all night long you're just you get done and you're like wow I feel like I didn't even it's trying to hone in on that it's unfair how much what you're hearing affects how whether you relax or not but it just does it does so much so everything you can do to control what you're hearing it's it helps you know and still you, you still are fighting it sometimes but it does help yeah I think for me, physically, <laughs> physically uh, I just I spent like most of my life in great shape, and I'm not right now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm just like, man, I, I don't feel comfortable. My posture's not right. But part of it is, is you know, I have four kids under six, and it's really hard to break away and go to the gym sometimes. But I'm just doing something about it. So I changed my diet, you know. So I am doing something about it, and. Uh, I'm on the road. Uh, mentally, I, we're in the studio at Little Big Town right now, and uh, you know they I f- they could have anyone there they want. They can call Seth Seth back if they wanted to, and it's it's this line and it's a push pull of how much of myself can I incorporate right now? Because right now the demo is just a acoustic guitar and a vocal, and I can literally lay any beat that I want, right? But it's there's a line because I can't go straight funk Hubert, you know, like I would like to do all the time. But what I what I what I'm figuring out is I've created my own situation that's my band where I can get all of my ideas out. I think we all struggle with how much of you know my ideas. You, you, you should play every gig for the gig, you know, and 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 learn the temperature from your boss and, and just do your job and speak when you need to and then go home. It, sh- it shouldn't be like you're driving home and like, I can't express myself. If you want to express yourself and you got ideas, make a situation and express yourself. So that that's that's my mental battle. But yeah. The Huber Pain Band. Yeah, well, it's called The Network. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Network of Pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that. <laughs> Harry? Plug it, man. Where can we find The Network? <laughs> January 27th at the five spot, first show. Beautiful. All right. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, man? Um, dude, I, I relate to like so much of what you guys each said. Very funny hearing this come out of your mouth, Seth, because I, I came up when you did this thing of the drum pad up here. They set up drums. Seth did a clinic. You got, if you all don't, I mean, you're all here, so you know the deal with the drum pad, but they do these clinics up here that like multiple of them have changed my life. I came to Keo's. I came to Seth's. Anyway, he, like, this dude is the embodiment of light touch but like maximum intensity that's how that's what i think you're playing yes and it's like surgical man it's like precise anyway (laughs) so it's like it's funny to hear you say that like you're afraid you're hitting too hard you know what i'm saying Uh, 
<laughs> He's trying to be humble. He's trying to make us feel better. <laughs> I I really do hit too hard. I can t- especially when I especially when I get nervous. Like um, first rehearsal in a new situation a few nights ago. Okay, the artist is in the room now. I spent the last month and a half working up their 90-minute set, and I'm fine, and I'm in the flow. And the minute the artist shows up and I'm all self-conscious, I mean, this is one of these four-on-the-floor teams, two bars in, just burning pain. <laughs> <laughs> just burning pain, like I'm uh, kicking for my life. So um, <laughs> I'm nowhere close on that. I need, I need to work on that. Uh, Good luck, because, you know, obviously he and I are still trying to conquer it, too. <laughs> dude, well, I meant to say this, Travis. Um, call, because your instinct is mine, too, then you bury the beater, right? Mm. Call Dave Elitch if you don't know him. I don't know him, but this is what I hear from everyone about him. Dude, he, mechanics, he fixed, he's the man, right? Right. He yeah. fixed me right up. And, um, you know, I don't have a good enough ear for this, but he claims even, like, that kind of, in those bigger rooms, that kind of opens up the low end. It does. Sounds, it, it, it definitely. Yeah, no, if you can, if you can not keep it in there, your tone will be better, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I, uh, I take his word for it. I take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, if we've all messed with, like, okay, I've been burying the beater for the last 25 years. Today, I'll stop. And then, <laughs> and then five minutes in, you go, this is hard work. I'm, I'm already functional as a drummer. Right. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. But Dave, Dave was the key for me, and, like, yeah, he'll give you steps, man. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm actually on my way to not call Dave. I, it, I got forced in. Uh, I'm a Barry the Beater guy too. And uh, just real quick, I, I when we made the first LBT record, the, the kick drum that we were really digging, it just it was what it was, and I could not bury the beater on that thing because it would sound like crap. And so I was forced into just getting in that place where you find your new intensity, where mm-hmm. you know maybe you're you know, up a little higher on the, or a little bit back on the pedal where you feel more weight and you can, mm-hmm. you know, and so, yeah, I, I can relate to that, you know. And that's, I've, I've been able to do that in a situation like this house kid at this studio is crazy. Okay. I can find a way to play it. I can find a comfort zone today. I can, but then to, to carry that on in your playing is what I would think, yeah. or at least it's been more difficult for me. I don't mm-hmm. know have, if you've been able to do that or not, but a little, a little bit. Yeah. 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 Guys, we have a question from a podcast listener who actually we didn't expect to be here, but she actually was able to make it tonight. So I'm excited to be able to ask this question on behalf of Steffi G. As a musician, whether out on tour or in the studio or just throughout your time in the industry, what is one mistake you've made in your professional career that you swore you would never repeat again? And what have you learned since then? Man, I, I have an opportunity to really embarrass myself right now. We're ready. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you guys a chance to think of like a, a good answer. Okay. <laughs> okay, my first trip around the world was, uh, was playing in a rock band. All right, there's a certain culture to that. There's certain fraternizing going on, you might say, after the shows, you know? Some of, the, some of those instinct. I shouldn't be admitting this into a microphone, okay? But I'm trying to be helpful, all right? Uh... Some of those instincts carried with me when I moved to Nashville, man. It's like you meet, uh, uh, you just meet some uh, hyper-interactive people, I'll say. <laughs> you, you meet some attractive people, you know what I mean? It's like, um, I, uh, man, in, in my early days here, I'd, I'd, go, I'd go running around with girls when I shouldn't have. You know what I mean? It's like that old concern. It depends on the culture of your gig, all right? The, when you... Uh, 
when you start playing for that size rooms, like you just you start having infinite access to those things. People like me who are like a loser in school and you know asking everybody out, getting turned down. When you finally get to this phase in your life where you like you get that acceptance and you lean into it like it's a drug. Everybody has their vice on the road, but um, dude, I I had to figure I had to figure that stuff out and, and realize that like the people around you and that you're working for, they're they're paying attention to you first of all. Culturally, maybe that clashes with some of them. Also, it's like a reflection on the people that you play for. So I'm not telling anybody to do or not do any of those things, but um, know that that moves the needle. You know what I'm saying? That's not <laughs> that's not nothing. So uh, I and I I learned that the hard way a few years ago, man. And um, I'm glad I'm glad I got it out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm it's, saying? It's important to consider this is your this is your life. This is what we're trying to do for the rest of our lives and create a career. So you're right, man. And it it speaks to something we've talked about on the podcast before. Like it, your employer, whoever that is is looking at your skills, your experience, your this, your that, but they're also looking at your judgment uh, as a player and as a human. She was really hot, though, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for creating a safe space for me to just, like, dump all my emotional problems on you. We're That's supposed to talk about things we've learned from... <laughs> yeah, I, just piggybacking on a part of that... Uh, for me, hard lesson. Uh, first time I was let go, I got fired on a Monday morning. I sat on my couch for like 12 hours. But my wife and I just got married, had a baby. But the management called me and they, they said, Hubert, uh, you're terminated as of right now. And, I, and I'm like, why? Because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm killing the gig. You know, I've never really, I, I've never been an issue. And he said, uh, he said, uh, well, she said, the guys just feel like you'd be happier on someone else's bus. And long story short, what I was doing was after we played a gig, I would go straight to my bunk, right? And coming, me being an African-American, I'm going to just be honest because I feel like this can help some people. Me coming from more of a, you know, culturally a different place, right? It, it, was, uh, it was not a, I didn't see a lot of common ground, Right. I didn't see a lot of common ground, so I just felt like if I just did my job and I killed it and I wasn't an issue, I didn't I didn't drink or anything and just get on the bus and go to bed. But it's more to that because you hang more than you play. Mm. And I had to find a balance. And it's, it's not about you got to stay up till 3 in the morning, but like now I look to find common ground with other people. You know what I mean? And and and, and then your friends wind up calling you for gigs, so you really want to find common ground, you know, as you go on. So that was a that was a tough one for me but i'm glad i got it early on and we want to play with our friends too yeah yeah uh i don't know i don't know if i have a story ready this is tricky because yeah. if you don't say anything you're like oh you never made mistakes right. Yeah. Right. exactly 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 <laughs> oh I, i've got some written down here seth if you, if you don't have i should have bagged See, a couple first me, gotta, me and matt were listening to them at lunch like <laughs> it's fine it's totally cool this is like a the drummers of a little big town reunion podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I am full of shame that I have never played for little big town. There are multiple people in the audience that have played for little big town. <laughs> it's true. Well, let's let's do a speed round thing. Real oh quick. yeah. So we we had just a couple questions that you can give like a one word answer to uh, that we'll just wrap up with. So uh, starting off with if I wasn't finish a sentence if I wasn't a musician I would be a dude. <laughs> Head football coach of the Detroit Lions. 
Wow. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> I, I, I will fix it. I'll get, I'll get, I, will get, I will fix it. I'm telling you, I will fix it. I like how specific it is. Yeah. That is fantastic. I mean, yeah, but not yeah, not a head football coach, not an NFL football head football yeah, coach of absolutely. the Detroit Lions. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm impressed. Uh, I would probably do something that I do when I have free time anyway. Uh, um, over the years, um, I've the nature of the career we have is ups and downs and whatever. So at some point, uh, through good advice I got, I started investing in real estate. And so occasionally, sometimes that includes rental properties, whatever, but sometimes it includes renovations. And especially being from New Orleans, there are so many old homes there. So I've renovated some 150-year-old houses. And I love it. I really, really enjoy it. So if I weren't doing this for a living, that would probably be it. If you asked me as a kid, it'd be... I'd be in the NBA. Um, <laughs> but uh, now, I, I, construction. Yeah, I like to build stuff. I, I work with wood and, I, you know. Okay, yeah. cool. Best thing you ever ate on the road? Uh, Anybody? I stumped him. I think lobster in New England. Mm. New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else? Next time you're in Japan, go to this ramen joint in Hiroshima called Afuri. I can okay. even... S- okay. The end. I like it. I like it. This, this is a very hood response, but... <laughs> uh, I like going to Chicago and eating deep dish pizza. Yeah. Often. Yeah, that's yeah. a good call. <laughs> I, that's not what I thought you were going to say when you said a hood response. This is very Gallatin, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't right. have a good answer, uh, but there's so much good. Well, you're from New Orleans. I know so that's something. Um, can, uh, yeah, 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 you know what? I got one. I got one more thing. We're gonna to finish this up. Yeah. One of the things we were asking, like, can you guys name a city where people should like focus their attention on, where there's there's hip music and great drummers that we're not really aware of, and you can't say Nashville, New York, L.A., Austin, or Chicago, New Orleans. Thank you. We should have we should have put New Orleans. We should have put New Orleans there. But I mean, I mean, is there anything that we should, as we reinvest in ourselves as listeners and support the local community and the drummers that we all are supporting? Where where are some places we can pay attention to? And I know I'm going to probably miss somebody, but does Franklin count? No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sure. I I would say, like Minneapolis. Yeah. Mm, cool. I've also met some great guys out of Detroit too. But yeah, yep. yeah, definitely Detroit. <laughs> Absolutely Detroit. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> He's from Detroit. Awesome. Well, in, in an effort to uh, keep this moving, uh, we're, I'm gonna th- just we're gonna wrap up. I'm gonna say super big thanks to the Gosh, four of you for quick. doing this. It, 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 is, it is quick. Okay. It is quick. We're gonna we're just move right along. But yeah. I, I appreciate y'all very much. So guys, can give it up for this panel before we as we move on. Whether you're recording or performing live, Drum Paradise carries Nashville's finest collection of drum equipment for rent. And not only do they maintain a warehouse full of the most pro drum gear currently available, Drum Paradise provides cartage and storage services. Just a few of the many pro clients that rely on Drum Paradise's professional services include Steve Gadd, Chad Cromwell, Shannon Forrest, Matt Chamberlain, Jerry Rowe, Nick Buda, Chris McHugh, and Near Z. Owner and operator for over 20 years, Harry McCarthy brings his years of knowledge and experience to Drum Paradise. 
He has offered his technical skills on the road and in the studio for major artists such as Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, The Eagles, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Toto, James Taylor, Keith Urban, and numerous others. Contact them at drumparadise.com for more information. Now here's the second half of our live 200th episode, our interview with Chris McHugh. We wanted to start off with a a question that was submitted to us uh, by one of our Patreon members, Matt Middleton. How do you approach playing on a conceptual level uh, in a way that's different now than it was when you began your your career? Is there something specific, i.e. a moment of recording, a word of advice, etc., that served as a watershed moment in your growth as a musician? Oh, man. Boy, that's a lot. I would say, you know, one of the, one of the key moments was uh, one of the first sessions I did... Um, uh, not in Nashville. This is uh, up in like Conshohocken, uh, Pennsylvania, like right outside of Philadelphia. And um, I showed up to the session. I had a big chrome over wood Slingerland kit with two 24-inch kicks. And the toms were like, you know, 12, 13, 15, 16, 18. And at that moment, the, the engineer said to me, you know, you ought to sell that crap and get like a, a little Yamaha recording kit. That's one of those moments. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's a lot more, you, you know. I, you know, so what is interesting about that conceptually is the focus was on tone. Like, like you know, don't, you can, you know, maybe use all this stuff live or something like that. But, you know, for here, this is a different thing. This is different than whatever you've been doing, playing with your band or, or whatever else, you know. And um, what's funny is I think I actually just used the house kit, which was like maybe a mid-60s Ludwig kit that had um, Evans hydraulic heads and no bottom no bottom heads. And this was a long time ago. So that, was kind of, that was kind of the thing. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, there's that. There's a lot of uh, – usually with um, usually with engineers, you know, that that was kind of the thing of like – those sort of, uh, you know, epiphany kind of moments of like, uh, I I had the 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 real, you know, fortune to um, when I was in that band Whiteheart, um, the engineer, who's a now you know one of the most, you know, very famous world class engineer Jeff Balding, but at the time you know we were all kids. I mean, he's a couple of years older than me or something like that. But a couple of those records that we did, we we spent couple like two days on drum sounds. And we tried every combination of of head and tuning and you, that you can imagine. And it was, you know, I've carried that my whole career, just what, what I learned in those situations with him. So... And so much yeah. with home recording, like it's it's sometimes it's hard to remember. We've talked about this in, in other podcast episodes that when you're actually taking the the whole day to find that perfect spot to put your snare drum, put the microphone on the snare drum to get that sound in your in your own studio is is worth it. It can be, or it can yeah. be like a really great trigger for something else. Sorry, that was. A- <laughs> I think Travis laughed first. Oh, man. Okay, it was a little... Oh, man. No, uh, for sure. You know, you... you the, the Just learning, you know, and trying different sounds is is a very interesting thing. Because, I mean, 
that stuff you do try at your home studio, you can offer those suggestions, you know, if the, if the time is right, the engineer is willing of, of trying some different things, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's to be specific. There are certain things that I learned even about kick drums that <clears throat> there are certain kick drums that work that, that have so much more low end when, if you actually point the mic more towards where the head and the shell meet, as opposed to having it go straight on to the beater, um, so that's a that's an easy hot tip for you drummers out there. Like so, you know, just spin it about. I don't I don't know degrees. Was that forty five? Maybe Travis, you're a builder. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you you what you're doing is you know the the um, the element. You know, you're just going to turn it off axis forty five degrees and just point it kind of where your snare drum probably really is. And there's usually a lot of low end kind of hiding in there. So, but that, that's stuff that you can find out too. Just, you don't really need incredible gear to do that. You just need a mic and, and garage band, you know, so. And time. Figure that stuff. And know that it's worth, worth it. Yeah. Worth it to do. Right. And like you, uh, said you took two days with this, uh, engineer. Yeah. With Jeff. Yeah. Right. So I think, the substitute for that now, I mean, most drummers don't have the luxury to do no, that those kind of thing well, and the, Yeah, those, they're gone on. I don't know. Maybe there's some rock bands that still do that, but for the most part, that yeah. that era is over. Well, I guess I guess my point is that like that used to be kind of a team effort in the yeah. studio, but now it's up to us individually to figure that out yeah, in every, our every, room yeah. for our drums mm-hmm. for for whatever. Yeah, everybody's multitasking on that, and and. Um, you know, and it's it's fine. It's just it. Um, you do have to do your homework and and um, know what your gear sounds like, and and um, and you know, and be open to suggestions as well too. You know, um, there can often be really really sharp people working at studios that are that are even the the people that are kind of the assistants and stuff. And you know, those are good people to pick um, their brains about on tones because often those guys will work with a million different engineers all, all year long, you know, and they, and they have some interesting viewpoints on what works and what doesn't and a cool thing they did on blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, just ask a lot of questions is good. And I I feel like fewer drummers are sort of married to a single tone or a single sound the way they used to be. Um, And a lot of us are, are gravitating more towards having kind of a portfolio or kind of an aesthetic, in which you have a lot of different sounds to choose from. Um, do you do you see that happening? And and have you gone that way with your sound? Well, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, <laughs> no. I you know, shoot. Yeah. I mean, you you know, it's. I think the being able to provide different options on tone, whether they're acoustic or electric or a combination or playing a weird, you know, I don't know, a box or a you know, one of those, um, plastic water jugs or, I mean, that stuff has kind of been going on for a really, really long time. It's just the speed of everything now has to be so Mm. quick. And I guess to answer your question is like a lot of, a lot of people are carrying a lot more options with them. Right. Right. As opposed to, you know, just kind of like a, a kit and, um, a box of snares, you know? So symbols are, I mean, you know, I think I'm, I have too many bags, I think, is what everybody at Drum Paradise would say. But those get switched out a lot, cymbals, hi-hats in particular. I mean, even 
weird stuff like um, little kids, you know, toy hi hats are fun and anything weird, you know, just hanging things from them and whatever. You know. I, I have a mini djembe I bought for my son when he was first born. It's been on more recordings. Yeah. I kept having to steal it from him. Now he, he doesn't know. It's yeah, great. he doesn't. It's great. It's great. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to bring up something yeah. that's kind of in, in line with this. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of times in some past interviews, I, I've heard you use this phrase, character, uh, character of playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just if you could, maybe the, the personality of the player that you bring up. And I wonder if kind of in an age of digital recording and the way tracks are cut up and everything like that, um, how does how do you maintain this character of playing? Um, well, I mean, I think honestly, you can't really get rid of it. It's between the notes, you know. Even when people are, I mean, it depends on how hacked up something is and whether they're doing full, complete sound replacement on it, and and it is that very like comical, almost gritting, you know. I don't know. There are a few things that are just like, it's funny to me. It's it's like, it's like the equivalent of watching a movie, you know, um, that's been completely animated on top of live action. You know, it, it's like, man, that's a lot of work. Uh, but back to the character thing, it's, um, you know, man, I mean, still, so I guess to give an example would be, um, it's easy to tell, especially, well, I don't know, I guess I was going to kind of not make sense there for a second. <laughs> we, uh, we do that a lot. Well, we, yeah. We I don't mean, let it stop us. I, I think, I don't know, you know, I mean, to me, I grew up listening to, to people who have tons of character, you know, like uh, Jeff Percaro and Mickey Curry and John Bonham and... You know, I mean, the funny thing, like, about even with with uh, Bonham, the levee breaks, you know, that thing has been put on a million records, and, and within itself, you know, it's been looped to itself. So, you know, that two-bar phrase that everybody uses on that, but, I mean, it still sounds like John Bonham, you know? I mean, and, and um, I think you just have to, you know, the biggies for me, I guess I would say, where people lose... You you just have to try as hard as you can to play as tight as possible onto the grid because, uh, you know, if you want those, people are going to move stuff. So I think when you attempt to make it as tight as possible, even when they move it, it's not changing the character. But if you're in there and you're just, if your velocity is all over the shop and, you know, your your time is crap, uh you're going to lose the personality with it. So, I mean, honestly, it's that thing of like, it's, it comes down to kind of like one mic recording. Like if you, I, I, I would say advice would be to spend more time with just listening to yourself through the iPhone mic, just playing like a basic, you know, eighth note hat, you know, two and four mm-hmm. and making sure that that, that hits you in the same way that it, that it does when, you know, Phil Rudd plays that. Right. And you try, you just keep trying mm-hmm. and your character will come, come through that, you know? Right. You know, typically it's like you, the, um, 
the essence of sort of like your downbeats and your backbeats get lost if you have a habit of really hammering eighth notes on the hi-hat. There isn't a mic in the world that's going to grab those those other notes. They're just, just going to keep getting shocked by where you're putting those eighth notes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that kind of stuff, you know, to spend time... Um, Having those levels, that, that's what's great about the, the one mic thing is adjust so that it hits you as a full balance that way. And, and that, to me, is where your character comes from, if that makes any sense. It, it, it sounds like you're saying that if, if you're able to self-mix, like yeah. on your iPhone mic, yeah, it's, then it's, yeah. Your, your character is going to be stronger and therefore come through yeah. no matter how much it's chopped up. Which is weird, which goes against the thing of like, you know, when you are using weird things to build a track, you're not necessarily playing a kit, you know, but... And, and again, this is just my approach. You, you know, the drum set is one thing, and it should sound like one thing. It shouldn't sound like a separate kick and snare and hi-hat. It should come at you evenly. And when, you're hit, when you hit your cymbals, it shouldn't, it shouldn't whip you back. It should keep you in, in the groove. It should be a little bit of a boost, you know, crescendo. And when you get to a chorus, you know, you play it like a chorus. And... and um, mm-hmm. And for some reason, you know, um, that still comes through, even, even if stuff gets locked down or if you're playing with program stuff. And, you know, I know playing in times passe and so, <laughs> so last year or whatever. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's just interesting because just this idea of not overplaying the cymbals in the studio. Yeah. Well, know what they sound like. And, and, and I mean, all you got to do is listen. If you hit them and all of a sudden your your drums, right. by the time you're you know you hit that next backbeat snare, if it's swallowed, then that's a problem. It should be this even, you know. Yeah. Um, and every instrument has to go through this, you know. Guitar players have to play things evenly, or certain interesting notes have yeah. to be. You think about yeah. You know, you just really approach it that way. And are there and, other there are other instruments? Going yeah, there on? are. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting, you know. I mean, it it's easy to just think that you just go in and hit everything as hard as you can, you know, and that's, that's not really the case. Um, people have tried that and it doesn't work. So, you know, it's somewhere me in a, you know, in, in the middle of that, but I have, I've heard guys who play like, I don't know, has anybody ever had the, uh, the great luck to come across, um, like Bernard Pretty at a, at a trade show? At like Nam or or Pasic or anything like that. Well, because he'll, it's first of all, he's ridiculous. But he'll play in the quietest level, and it is the dirtiest, nastiest thing you've ever heard in your life. I saw him a month ago in Atlanta, and yeah. it like he was barely touching him. Yeah, but just and his, <laughs> just it's filled up the room. Smooth, and like when he does a fill, he he like exaggerates it, and it's and it moves and you flow with it and you know so it's all touch and and um but it has nothing to do with like volume you know and and uh right it's all character yeah it is yeah it's all it's all character and those are big you know shoot you want to know what character is i mean it's it's bernard it's jeff it's um vinnie john robinson mickey curry um phil rudd you know, Bonham, of course, Keith Moon, those Charlie Watts. Yes. Ringo. It's all, it's all those know. players that when you hear them, you're like, 
Uh, I know who that is. Well, and, they're, and and especially when they're just playing, yeah, you know, like an eighth note rock beat, right? So that's there. That doesn't it, it, it that doesn't go away because someone else is playing it. You just have to find your own your own sound that way, you know. Having proudly served the Nashville drumming community for nearly four decades, Forks Drum Closet offers the largest selection of drum gear in Music City. Offering drum and percussion gear from all major brands, they are a shop run for drummers by drummers. Over the years, Forks has won a number of prestigious industry awards, including being voted 2017's number one independent retail percussion store in the nation. Their reputation has been built on the idea of supplying, educating, and maintaining a relationship with you, the customer. Acclaimed for their wide product selection and unparalleled customer service, they will help you get the gear you love to do what you love. Visit their new location at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville to choose from hundreds of drum sets, snare drums, and hand percussion products, plus virtually thousands of cymbals, parts, and accessories, all at the guaranteed best price. There's a conversation I, I had uh, just a couple nights ago uh, with a young drummer here in Nashville, uh, Jack Thomas Ankenbrook, I think hey, is his name. Um, we were talking about the idea of there being room for uh, mentorship in a town like Nashville, for example. And um, does include like you know painting your house and doing laundry. Your car? <laughs> sure, yeah, you I don't know, know it might be. Well, Jack, I mean, if you're bored, it, and you, you've discussed this before about hanging with Larry London and that kind of mentorship uh, going on. And uh, I think we all have stories of different levels, uh, short yeah. and long, of, of those mentorships that, that meant a lot, lot to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying something more. He was like, look, I'm like 23 years old, great player, 23 years old. I don't want to go through and make the same mistakes. You know, I want to get to this. I want to hang out with these guys and... Is there room for that these days? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, um, um, I guess so, you know. I mean, sessions are a lot different now than they used to be, too. It's it's like, um, you know, there were the, yeah, there's room for it. I mean, for sure, you know, it, it you just have to be kind of, you know, you have to make a connection somehow. Right. But, um, you know, and I would say too, the mistakes are kind of the good stuff. That's where you learn, you know, it occurred I mean, to me as I was asking mistakes, that question, yeah. that, that would be, oh. well, can, can you maybe go into a little bit about your experience with Larry? Well, yeah. I mean, so, um, Larry, um, just, um, so when I was in this group, Whiteheart, the bass player is a great bass player named uh, Gary Lunn at the time. Well, Gary was doing sessions with Larry and he introduced me to him. And so, you know, he was just gracious. And, and so I got to just sit and I would say there was probably about a dozen different times I just hung with him and, um, and it was amazing. I mean, there are two people who like sitting in a room with them and listening to them play that just completely freaked me out in terms of like shocking, violent velocity. And, uh, Neil Peart was one and Larry was the other one. I could not believe it. It just would, you would, and everybody I think has heard the stories about Larry's kick pedals. He, he played those premier, what were they? Two fifty twos or something. And he would have them. I mean, he would even put, 
different springs in that, right. you know, um, but he was huge. Larry was a big guy. And, but I'll say more than anything is that he was looking to, he had a very modern approach to just every note that he played. He really, you know, he, he got the thing of like getting your velocity to almost like a machine like level. Um, and you know, um, Oh, Sherry's a good example of that, but literally everything Larry played was, was like that too. But what I learned from him was, um, I didn't know, you know, so when I first met, I was 20 and I didn't know that, that the, you know, that the drummer basically runs the session in terms of, you know, counting it off and, and, um, you know, just, um, and at that time, you know, on analog, you 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 were the one who who basically said, "Well, that's the take." You know, Interesting. It, it didn't matter if somebody had a great guitar pass or something. Mm-hmm. It was basically just between you and the producer of like, "Well, that's that's the take." Mm-hmm. And if anybody made mistakes, they they would fix to that. You know, so and it seems like I hear parts, the drum part, and 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 somebody lays something down, and then they're they're pushing. Uh, or they're emphasizing beat four or something like that, and then you hear the guitar part also emphasizing beat four, and it makes me what's the chicken and the egg scenario? When that drummer laid down his part, which he was probably the first one to lay down his part, did they hear that in the studio and say, and the producer said, "Follow the drummer, what he just did?" Well, overall, it was more of that. That was more of the. Do you think that still overall. happens today? Well, it depends. It depends on on who you're working with and what right. the music's like, and right. you know, a lot of things are <laughs> a lot of things are glossed over because things can be done in post. Right. And I'm talking about like I'm not even talking about editing. I'm talking about like you know you can raise the level of anything individually in the middle of a track just by you know raising the waveform level. Exactly. So if you you know if you bum hit a snare. Um, you know, you, they can fix it that way or just replace it with a sample. And I don't mean grid. I mean, just, you know, mm-hmm. put something that, that wasn't necessarily there. Yeah. But, I mean, we had this crazy thing called spot editing where you, you lay you just, you'd lay this metal window over the, the tracks of what you're trying to repair and you cut out a sliver of analog tape that's, you know teeny because you're only you're only cutting out those two tracks you know so if you're kicking snare we're on tracks you know one and two and that was not right you can cut that out and grab it from somewhere else you know and put it in there another take or something i mean those are extreme examples but it's not like people didn't edit you know i see it's not yeah. like it didn't didn't happen at all yeah but you know i mean the the other thing from 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 larry was that you know you have to um, you have to compose a part, and you have to play it. You have to play it from top to bottom, you know. And if so, and end with changes, you know. Well, we don't like that fill. Can you do another fill? And the speed of it all, and and the um, the amount of um, you know how much everybody was relying on you as the drummer, and right. you know, um, just. He was also into really different sounds, you know, like just with electronics and stuff. And so, you know, he was kind of the modern, you know, one of one of the the first sort of modern session people, you know, gotcha. um, uh, you know, everything from drum machines to the whole bit. So, 
and in, in terms of mentorship, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, my impression is that your career resembles Larry's, someone like Larry, a lot more than this 23-year-old's career is going to resemble yours, just because of the changes in, in the nature of the business. Shoot, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, that's the trouble with being like, um, with, I mean, perspective is great, right? But it's also, you know, I'm kind of locked in the experience that I had, you know, people do this real differently, you know, like they're, they're, you know, people have gotten into being session musicians totally different than I did. They didn't have to go through. I spent so much time playing dead on with a click that really doesn't matter anymore. Like I spent years doing it. People don't have to do that anymore. It's a nice thing, but you mentioned playing songs top to bottom without mistakes too. That was a thing. Oh gosh, you can't even, people don't even, what's that like parts anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Talk about composing parts. Like, well, uh, I'll say this. I like one of my favorite things is to listen to, especially something that has been programmed. I love to try to ape what those parts are. Especially like if the producer is a writer as well, and we're listening to a demo that he did. And some of these guys, like just the other day I was working with David Garcia, his demo stuff is a record. And so if yeah. I'm hearing, you know, and, and we're always, um, you know, melding live with, with programming with him to the point of where we will make sure that the live kicks pitch is working with the program kick that he has on there that there's not phase in it and that they really work together because they're both going to be really loud. There's, this isn't like, you know, a shadow of the program. It's like, they're going to be right in your face. And so with that, I, you know, that I love the drum machine aspect of even composing a part. So for you young people, you'd have to go back to like a lot of the eighties records when the Lindrum was first introduced. Um, typically, you know, most people would only work with maybe like a two bar kick pattern, but as people really got more adventurous in programming, you know, there were, there were full, uh, full sections of, of different kick patterns and stuff. And so something to listen to specifically would be like, uh, the, the Janet Jackson control record, which is Jimmy jam and Terry Lewis. So that program is phenomenal. So, uh, another great record to listen to composition of parts would be anything that Ringo played ever. Yeah, uh, but also, like if you listen to um, like the Def Leppard Hysteria record, which is programmed, but it's you know this program with with Mutt Lang's guidance, every single part that's on there has a hook, and it's on there for a specific reason. And so, right. you know, I guess you know I'm kind of a product of my environment in that. Like another great band to listen to is uh, called The Fix. Some of it's live and some of it's programmed. But everything worked in these sort of like drum machine type phrases. So there would be a four bar kick pattern that works on the whole song. And that's an interesting thing. I love that because the minimalism part of it is interesting. It's like, why does it work? Why does that work for the, through the whole ding, ding dong song, you know? <laughs> but you, you change it up with some fills. And then as a live player, you have the advantage of adding a little velocity change in the chorus too, and leaning it a little forward as well. So there's always something to be, to be picked up, but um, real quick too, another guy that like, for, as far as ballads, the, the two people that I learned the most from 
in in just listening to parts and coming up with with the correct parts to play for a ballad um you know where um Nigel Olson right and uh um Phil Collins um you know again very adventurous ballad player but you know there's so much expression in it um Nigel is just that classic. He's sort of like a little bit, you take Ringo and you add a little bit of a modern flair to it. Um, but like if you're playing with a singer-songwriter and you don't know who Nigel Olsen is, that's that's a sad thing. So you yeah. should hang your head in shame <laughs> right now. And Russ Kunkel, too. Oh, you know, Kunkel. Uh, um, all the stuff, you know, the James Taylor stuff, there's incredible parts there. Um but it's just the idea of of thinking about, you know, how something should build. You know, it should take you somewhere. It's it um, obviously, you know, depending upon the song, but typically, you know, in the normal pop format of of arranging and every, you know, everything that I'm working on, whether it's country or not or whatever, falls under the pop format of arranging. Right. You know, intro, verse, B section, chorus. Turn around, same thing, solo, outro, maybe double course maybe or something like that. So it has to flow. It has to do what it needs to do. Um, and you just, you, you learn what those, those parts are, you know? I mean, there's obvious things of, of you know, of if you're playing, um, if you can get away with just playing one and three, See how long that, how far that carries you, and then well, you may have to add eighth note pickup every two bars, you know, or something like that, and you know, it's 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 just math. <laughs> the the more the more music I listen to, and the more drum parts I dig into, it it seems like the best ones. Well, maybe not the best ones, but so many of them feel like the the least amount of notes possible. Yeah, and I would say some of that's coming back. Mm, yeah for the most part a lot of the, m- most of the sessions i've been doing recently are especially the programming guys are a real minimal kick drum now mm. it's interesting can yeah. i jump off that what you're saying here uh, i've got an idea maybe we could do a couple and then throw something out yeah. to the front um so is do you, is there like a definable difference between working in nashville or with nashville producers and maybe uh, an LA type producer. I mean, I know it can be anywhere. So you know, not Kelly... anymore. Gotcha. Yeah, not anymore. It's it's, um, you know, there are you you get a feel for how somebody is producing pretty quickly. What, what's the most important thing? Right. Um, and um, but it's funny though. Time is our enemy at this point now because there used to be these producers that were so great at like sort of like you know, letting things kind of percolate and get to a cool thing. And then you, you know, it's almost, it was, I would say the equivalent of like kind of jamming something out till you came up with something cool. But again, the budgets don't, you know, that was the, a lot that would happen in the, the days of when you could do a song a day. Oh, I see. You know, but those, that's, that's gone. So you said there's, there's not much difference anymore between... Right, because they're, they're, I would say the, the way that people make records now, no matter what the genre is, is basically the same. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, it just is. Is it a good it thing for you? Oh, mm. shoot. I don't know. Gra- <laughs> grateful to be sitting here. I mean, I, you know, I mean, how picky can you get? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think when I was younger, I had more of a, 
an opinion about that, mm-hmm. you know, of like, well, I think things should be like blank. I don't know. I mean, I mean, really, when you look, when you look back at it all, you're, you're just working with what you have, everybody. And people have, t- you know, were able to work on, on four tracks and come up with right. the most amazing things, you know, rubber and, soul. Right. And, and so, you know, I don't know. I would say the, the for me now, I mean, to be doing this, you know, in, you know, 80s, 90s, you know, this is math. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm entering into, you know, this is midway through my third decade of, of doing this close to my fourth decade. So kind of happy to just be playing, you know, right. just cause it, you know, I, I like it. So. Uh, you have one more, one right more, there, and then I'm, we're going to hand off uh, the mic here. Well, you. yeah, to wrap it up, like what? Um, I mean, you mentioned how long you've been in this business, how many artists you've played with. What right now is inspiring you? Like, what's getting you jacked up about playing drums? <sighs> I mean, you know, man, it's uh, um, stuff like. Uh, you know, it's the same thing that's kind of, I think, floating everybody's boat, which is sort of, you know, the Mark Giuliani and that kind of um, just um, crazy, um, you know, um, what would you call it? Just on the fly ability to just do those sort of rhythmic flourishes and, and you know, the, the sort of the otherworldly quality of that, you know. Right. But I'm a sucker, man, you know, for anybody who can, like, just really lay it lay it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I listen to a lot, of, a lot of different stuff. I think it's really important to listen to stuff that you actually maybe don't like, hmm. especially stuff that is mostly programmed. Um, you know, I, I would suggest something that's popular, but you should really listen to those records and figure out, you know, I mean – We've got to get new ideas from somewhere, right? You know, and those records got to be doing something, right? Well, yeah. I mean, what is it? You know, it's yeah. it's um, and you know, you'll you'll hear, um, you know, and you, there are guys, you know, that you can, like, you know, I can remember, like Lester Estelle is one of the first players that I, I mean, I, I think this was several years ago, or maybe even a little bit longer, but hearing a track that had like you know one of those trap hat kind of things on it. And literally within days, I saw him play, and he did it too. So it was like, well, that's it. That's the thing, you know. You 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 really just have to keep listening, you know. And and I think at the same time, if your deal is to, if you're still trying to, you know, make something feel as good as blank, your favorite drummer, you should pursue that at the same time. But I don't think it's very good to be stuck in like a time warp of. If this is what you want to do for a living. Well, yeah, and and it. And that's what's going to give you the edge, you right, know, right. on on something is to come up something we haven't heard before, you know. Yeah, character. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm going to. I think we maybe have time for like maybe one or two questions out to the audience. So if I run this out in the back, make sure this is on. This is working. Anybody remember the Phil Donahue show where they would just pass the mic back? Right. right. Trip over. Where he would lean inappropriately <laughs> on people. Yeah, lean, lean over Hubert there. Yeah. All right. So uh, Harry actually brought this guy up early, uh, earlier, Dave Elidge. Yeah. Um, Dave's an awesome Hate dude, him. man. I actually grabbed some lessons with Dave. If anyone knows him, he's like really big in the technique. 
and going back to the very fine basics and uh, we never stop growing. We never stop learning. Yeah. I know you've sat with Dave too. What yeah. are some things that you sat with Dave and you were like, Dick, <laughs> <laughs> everything. I love Dave. Um, he's a really, really good friend and um, has, has um, really brought a, a lot of new life into just um, my playing and sort of overall viewpoint on just um, tone and what the stick should be doing and, and how to not hurt yourself, but also in philosophy. And, you know, I don't know if anybody knows Dave very well, but he's a really, really smart guy and very well read. And um, so anyway, it's, it's been, you know, I would say the funniest thing was when the first time I ever took a lesson with him was out in LA and we had met, we had done, we were both did PASIC um, clinics. That's when we met, I think in 2015 or something like that. And so I was out, you know, in LA. And this point, I was going to spend the whole, like, I think four hours is what we had booked. And so I went in and we met, you know, had some coffee or something like that. And he said, all right, sit down and just play a groove. And so I did. And, and, um, he watched me, you know, for maybe two, three minutes or something. And he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm really unhappy with my hands. I, I really, um, you know, I'm having some pain and there's got to be something more, you know, like I, I think I've, I've gone as far as I can with the technique I have. And I noticed a few things that you talked about in your clinic that, that I really would like to, you know, I want to get the stick to do more than it is. And he, he said, man, that's really cool. You know, the biggest problem though is your foot. And I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> so that was the beginning of it, you know, and, uh, and it's, and it's funny um, because that was the last thing, you know, that, that, that I was thinking needed work, but it really had to do with sort of my whole position of where I was sitting and uh, how it, it was, I was compensating every part of my body because of the way I was playing the kick drum. I am fighting that same battle right yeah. now, and I gotta find Elich somewhere. Yeah, man. I mean, and I, and I think he can. You know, he, I think he can do the Skype thing too. Like, you don't have to do yeah. four hours with him or right. whatever. But, but it was really more what I noticed about him was the, uh, what his tone was like at any velocity, and that's something that I've, I'm, you know, um, I mean, I like my tone to a certain point, but I've, I've always felt like there's more there. And there's other guys' tones that that I really like that um, I felt like I wanted to kind of get more into. You know, I, I've, I've always felt a little club-handed and a little club-footed in, in my playing, and that's the main reason why I was, you know, it was really the hands. But it wound up being much more than that, you know. Um so, and it's, you know, the results have, have happened. I mean, my, I would say tonality wise, the change that I was looking for has, has happened, you know, and, um, and I'm enjoying playing more too after taking uh, lessons with him too. So it's, it's interesting that he had you play before he asked you a single question. Yeah. Because if, if he would have asked you like, what do you want to work on? And you said my hands and then he'd watch you for two or three minutes, but he just let you play. And he was like, I don't, I don't know what this guy thinks his problem is, yeah. but I'm going to tell him what his well, problem is. And that's really what he's great at. Cause it is, he, he has that kind of, um, you know, I don't know what you would call it, you know, a Yoda aspect or whatever, but it's really about, 
finding an obvious weak spot. It's obvious for him that mm-hmm. he can see that. Um, the other thing, too, is that's another guy. If you sit in a room and listen to play, it's, forget it. You know, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Yeah. He's a punk. I hate you, Dave. <laughs> Okay, again, thanks, Innovative Drum Tech, Quarian Drumheads, uh, Harry McCarthy, and John Hall, and everyone here at Drumpad and Drum Paradise. You guys have been incredible. Yeah. At Forks Drum Closet, Danny Duchette, Alan Rice, Terry Bissett, and Steve Maxwell, the new owner, and the whole crew at Forks Drum Closet, we thank you so much. Um, Brian Taylor and his whole crew here at Nashville Drum Loop yes, for getting all this stuff together and making it look awesome. Yeah. It's been super great. Um, I, I mentioned Arjuna, Arjuna Contreras, for hanging out here. Again, we appreciate him hanging out, seeing us, and contributing his story. Uh, I want to do a quick shout-out to my friend Mike Jackson here, who's in the audience, who helped me create this podcast, get it started, and get it off the ground. Couldn't have done it without you, my brother. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, man. Mike. Um, and also thanks to my co-host Zach Albetta for your insight and uh, just great ideas continuing, man. Super thank great. You. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm going to hijack it for a second and thank you not only for bringing me on as your co-host. Being part of this has been just really gratifying for my career and, and uh, my self-development. Uh, oh. um, but you may have noticed this event took a lot of doing and Matt did most of it. I, I was in Atlanta. I helped when and where I could, but a lot of this was on the ground legwork, and Matt did a lot of it. So big hand for Matt Krause. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hey, we, we thank everybody that's listened to this podcast throughout the years and continues to support what we do. Just thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. There you go, 200 and counting. Thanks again to Forks Drum Closet, Drum Paradise, and the Nashville Loop, and to all of our guests who joined us for this event. Thanks also to Aquarian Drumheads, Innovative Percussion, and Drum Tax for providing some giveaways to those who attended live and watched online. And finally, as Matt said, as always, thanks to all of you for listening and supporting what we do. Cheers. Cheers.